This is Namina's Mental Health Mavens, where each week we bring you guests from the mental health, addictions, and holistic care community to talk about different issues and treatment modalities. Now, guests' opinions are their own, and some content may be triggering. And at Nomina, we work with complex, treatment-resistant mental health and addictions, so we know the importance of making exceptional mental health accessible to everyone. And with that, today's guest is Angelica Smith of Haven Counseling Collective, who is here to talk to us about codependency and dating someone with an addiction. Welcome, Angelica. As a sober woman, I am very curious to talk about codependency and dating an addict. Yes. <laughs> Why don't we start by you giving us a brief introduction to yourself? Yeah. So my name is Angelica Smith. I'm an associate marriage and family therapist. I've been practicing for about six years. Um, I work in private practice in Newport Beach, and the population I primarily work with is single women um, and women in relationships, and I cover a lot of relationship dynamics. Um, So anything from attachment to codependency to relationship distress. Um, I also work with a lot of trauma and working with inner child and family of origin issues as well. Yeah. And it, and it's not just men or women, because I know I dated a, a gentleman who was codependent and actually went to a 12-step program for codependency. Yeah. Yeah. It does show up both in men and women. Um, women is just the population I happen to work with, um, with Haven Counseling Collective in Newport. Um, but yeah, definitely can show up in men as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, before we get to the relationship dynamic with addicts, do you want to give us a brief overview of codependency? Sure. Absolutely. So this is probably a term we hear thrown around a lot. So I think it's important to go over what does that mean? What does it look like? Um, so codependency in a nutshell, I like to think of it as a love addiction, um, in some sense. So, um, if you think about addiction, it's reaching for something to get outside of yourself, um, to kind of get outside of your own pain or your own discomfort. So what happens with codependency is these fixing type of behaviors, these rescuing type of behaviors, um, become a way to distract oneself from their own pain and their own discomfort. Um, so it shows up often as, um, these rescuing behaviors. So, um, you know, coming to someone's rescue if they're in distress, having this urgency to fix someone else's pain. Um, that's kind of the general description of it. Although there's a lot more signs and symptoms we can get into as well. Yeah. Let's talk about some of the signs. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, one thing is the people in your life. Um, this can be in relationship or in family relationships and friendships. There's a strong inability to just kind of sit in someone else's pain with them. It's, it becomes this urgency to, I have to fix it. Um, it becomes a, enabling type of behaviors. So for example, um, and we'll go into more into like the specifics with dating an addict. Um, but an example of that would be, um, maybe you're dating an addict and they need money. They run out of money. So you end up lending them money. 
um, or the wrestling behavior, you know, I got pulled over and I got a DUI. Can you come get me? So it's this incessant coming to someone's rescue um, that I mentioned. That's one big one. Um, if someone is upset with you or just upset in general, that creates a lot of discomfort, a lot of distress kind of becomes almost obsessive in um, one's thinking if they're, if they have codependent um, tendencies. Um, yeah. Another one, let me see here. Um, there is a tendency to choose partners who kind of have more needs or, um, you know, like need to be rescued there's a tendency to be drawn towards chaos and towards chaotic dynamics, um, a tendency to feel bored if things feel kind of calm. And that often stems from maybe growing up in a chaotic home or something like that. Yeah. Well, speaking of which, what, how do we develop this codependency? Where does that come from? Yeah. So there are a lot of explanations behind it. Um, I work typically from an attachment lens. And what that means is I like to look at how early childhood and family of origin have really shaped who we are. Um, and so a lot of the time, it can start with this dynamic of being a young child and having maybe a parent who isn't that available. Uh, maybe who in whatever way isn't able to really meet your needs. So that can create maybe then they take on their own type of caregiving with their own parents. So um, mom needs a lot of emotional support. I'm going to become that glue that holds the family together. I'm going to, um, you know, almost step out of my childhood and into this parenting role so that I can hold everyone together. If there is a lot of chaos in the home, um, it almost can develop this sense of hypervigilance. I got to scan everything. I have to make sure everything is safe before, um, you know, we proceed. And so it becomes this really like hypervigilance and anxiety um, around other people's emotions. Um, and almost by becoming so hyper fixated on other people's emotions, um, people with codependent tendencies, tendencies often have a difficulty identifying their own emotions or um, identifying their own needs because it becomes like this, um, yeah, like this maybe parenting dynamic when they were kids. Um, so that can be a big part of it. Um, like caretaking parents, holding the family together, um, going, just growing up in a chaotic home in general. Um, it can also be learned from modeling. Um, did you observe codependent dynamics from your parents or from other important relationships in your life? You kind of learn by picking up on these things. Oh, that's what you do in in a marriage or that's what you do in relationship. Um, I think sometimes messaging from society can have an impact on this as well. Um, especially for women, uh, around you stay, you work it out and you stay and you show up for the person. And of course, to some degree that can be the case, but it becomes within codependency, 
you're showing up for the other person um, while you're abandoning yourself and you're giving so much of yourself um, to de- to the point of depletion. Um, and so it kind of becomes this overextension um, and a neglect for self. Yeah. In, in the people that I know that uh, are very open about their codependency, I can see it. They'll do something that goes against what they really you know, one of their values in order to make somebody else like them or to make them happy and then be resentful about it afterwards. And that always fascinated me. Where does that come from? Mm-hmm. Right, right. Resentfulness can be, like you mentioned, um, a big thing that shows up because by constantly giving, giving, giving of yourself, um, that's a, another common um, thing that you'll hear is, well, I'm always giving. I never get anything back. Um I'm the one that's always giving that does lead to resentment because how is your need ever going to get met? Um, you know, if you're just giving to others and you aren't, you know, setting boundaries or showing up for yourself in any way. Now, what about the dynamics in a relationship with an addict? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it kind of creates this perfect storm with um, a person with codependency and a person with addiction um, so like I had mentioned before, people with codependency are often drawn to really chaotic, hot and cold and push and pull dynamics. And at first it might feel like, oh, this is so exciting. And there's so much chemistry. Um, and this person really needs me. Um, I am able to really be there for this person and help them and um, provide things for them that they can't provide for themselves. And so it be that that becomes really fulfilling and um, really addicting to someone with codependency. And on the other hand, the person with the addiction is then enabled in their addiction um, because they're having someone show up for them rescue them and kind of keeping them stuck in this cycle. It's a very self-perpetuating cycle because they're both in a very dysfunctional way getting their needs met. Yeah. And I know the other side of it from the the addict side that we can be very manipulative and we know how to lay on the guilt and Uh yeah. Yeah. Don't you love me? Aren't you going to be there for me? Aren't you going to help me? No, and that's to a codependent. It's like, oh my gosh, of course I am. Like that's who I am. That's their identity. So, how would someone break that cycle? Then, what are some tips for breaking free of it? Yeah, and I, I absolutely believe that that's possible. And um, I don't love like the labels. Um, it's easy to use in conversation, but you know, just because you may find yourself in a codependent relationship or dynamic or um, find yourself reaching towards these tendencies doesn't mean that you're stuck with this label for the rest of your life. Um, getting out of it, it's a lot of it is getting to the root of how did this form in the first place? Um, if it was at its source, uh, some trauma from childhood or just navigating this caretaking parenting role as a child, um, doing some inner child work is a really great place to start and finding a therapist who is trained in codependency or trained in inner, inner child work, 
um, is a really great place to start to get to the root of what's causing this um, dynamic in the first place. Um, So that's a great place to start is getting connected with some support, getting to the root of it, um, starting to get, sorry, starting to get comfortable with your discomfort, with your pain, starting to allow yourself to sit with pain. And that's really, really hard for most people. We're a very avoidant society in general. Nobody wants to be in pain. Um, but the inability to be with one's emotions, to be with one's pain is often what perpetuates these dynamics. Um, so starting to practice things like mindfulness is a great tool. Um, and there's meditations and, you know, things that you can train yourself and learn for free that are available to you. Um, but that will help you to really be able to learn to get present. Um, and to be present with yourself and with your emotions, learning to set boundaries. So most of us don't know how to do that. It's not something maybe that we innately know or are even taught. And so um, that's something you can work with a therapist on is learning to set boundaries, learning to say no. Um, and the other piece of that is learning to show up for yourself. Um, and what does that mean is taking care of you. And then in that mindfulness practice, you learn to identify your emotions. You learn to identify how you're feeling in your body. And when you're able to be present with those things, you're also able to identify what you need. Um, and when you identify what you need, you can then give yourself what you need. Um, I like to think of all of this as almost this reparenting. What didn't you get as a child? Maybe you didn't get um, stability or a sense of calm or a sense of um, being loved and supported and accepted unconditionally. And now as an adult, you're creating awareness around all of that. You can now provide that for yourself. And so it's really coming back to yourself. Because there's so much fixation on outside of you. Um, the healing is really coming back to self and coming within. Yeah, there was learning attachment style was amazing for me in that when because I, I knowledge is power and mm-hmm. just knowing, huh, that's me. That's that part of me. That's where that came from enabled yeah. me to sit in it right. and shift direction on it. And it was beautiful. Right. Right. And there's maybe a misconception by looking at family and looking at attachments that it becomes this blaming game. And that does not have to be the case. Um, we're looking at that, as you mentioned, to create awareness. Um, you know, there's no perfect parents. We, none of us had perfect parents. None of us are perfect parents. And so, yeah, everyone in some way, there have been times that your parent wasn't able to show up for you in the way that you needed. Um, And so bringing awareness to that allows you to now take accountability and take control over your own life as an adult. Yeah, Yeah, very true. Yeah, that and uh, boundaries. Somebody said to me once that people who do not respect boundaries don't have healthy boundaries. So if I put up a boundary and that person doesn't respect it, well, they don't have boundaries. So, you know, just look at that. Yeah. 
That's such a good point. Are you setting boundaries and are, are you also respecting other people's boundaries? Mm -hmm. Because there can be this, um, you know, crossing of other people's boundaries too in codependence of, well, I'm just going to um, call you a hundred times because I'm really, really worried about you. But that might feel like an infringement upon the other person's boundaries. So that's a good point as well. Uh, any other tips or resources that you have? Yeah. So aside from getting into therapy, um, starting you know your own journey with inner child work, mindfulness, um, CODA is another great resource. Um, it's codependent anonymous and it's a 12 step program. It's free. Um, and if you just do a Google search, you should be able to find one near you. They probably are offering virtual as well. Um, but just having support and hearing other people's stories can help you to feel less alone in what you're going through. So CODA is a great resource. Um, and then I think a great place to start. If, you know, you're hearing this and you're like, yeah, I think that's me or some of this sounds familiar. Um, the book Codependent No More is a really great place to start as well. Yeah, yeah. We have a, a very strong CODA fellowship here where I'm from. And uh, a lot of I've noticed that a lot of the 12 step community for alcohol and drugs will also go there because there seems to be a lot of overlap with addicts also being codependent. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that can definitely show up as well. Um, CODA is definitely a great resource. Okay, well, thank you so much. I'm going to list your contact information in the description and in the show notes. Do you do virtual if people are looking to reach out to you? Yeah, so I can do virtual in California. Um, and then if somebody wants in person, I'm in Orange County. I am going on maternity leave in December. Um, So, you know, if someone wants to get started, we could do a couple months or I'll I'll be back in March. So um, that's an option as well. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me. Yeah, no, thank you for doing this. Of course.